Good evening, film fans. What's up? Welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast. It is the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined by a very giddy and silly and ridiculous Mike Nichols on Monday, June 26, 2023. Uh, what is up, my friend, as you try and distract me from that intro there? Oh, man. I was just making silly faces at him to try to make him laugh. But yeah, what is up? The temperature is up. It's in the hundreds all week here in Austin, Texas. It's, I believe, going to be 107 tomorrow. Man, I am Mich- I am missing Michigan summers right now. It is it's Michigan man of the year is, is wilting down here. How are you <laughs> yeah, doing? I'm good, man. It, it's been dry up here in Michigan, but it's 65 degrees right now. So we've been oh, yeah. down back-to-back rainy days. Yeah. But yeah, I just went outside. There was Ooh-hoo. a nice breeze. A nice Ooh-hoo. breeze working through the trees, you know, mm. uh, here at dusk. It, it was wonderful. But yeah, can't beat those Michigan summers. They're just too short, Mike. Just yeah. Too short. Uh, yeah. But it is summer, which means that it is a busy time for movies. Blockbusters coming out all over the place. We got more on the calendar coming up. Uh, and I have been making regular trips to the theater lately. Going every week on Tuesdays, the second day of the week in my book, uh, you know, hence the second day film podcast. I'm actually recruiting a friend to go with me to see into the spot across the spider verse tomorrow. So, uh, for once not going to the theater by myself, it will be nice to have a friend there with me to enjoy the cinematic mm-hmm. experience of the year. There might, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You feel like you have to recruit friends champ. I usually just make them and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you well, holding I mean, on, are you holding auditions for who wants to be your friend <laughs> i mean recruit a friend to go to the theater mike not recruit them to be my friend you know? i didn't i didn't know these social challenges were so hard for you <laughs> <clears throat> well why do you think you're on this podcast i had to recruit you you know that's so, true yeah. yeah that's true and that, then we became real friends <laughs> yeah sure i guess that's true yeah yeah we you hugged tricked. about five times last time I saw you, so I guess we can count <laughs> that as as friendship, you know. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, Dude, yeah, we've got. We so know much that we. One thing we know that we love, we love movies. Movies. We are still watching them all the time, and as I mentioned, uh, it, across the Spider Verse, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Little Mermaid. There's some big ones out right now. We're gonna hit those on the next pod. Yeah. Uh, as Mike and I do some backfilling, he has to see Guardians. I have to see Little Mermaid. Um, so we'll we will hit some of those big releases on our next pod. In the meantime, though, we're gonna do what I just called uh, before we started recording, a little backfilling. You know, there's obviously movies that are coming out all the time when we're not recording. You know, we do one show a month, which means there's plenty of stuff coming out that we're watching that we don't necessarily get to. Uh, but these four titles that Mike and I have picked tonight are are four that have kind of uh, I would say they're projects that in some ways came out of nowhere to either be hits or get some fanfare or develop a little bit of buzz. Um, so they're they're all kind of like, I wouldn't call them like the mainstream biggest titles of the year, but they are movies that I've seen people talk about. They're movies yeah. that I think do what they're going for in their own specific way fairly well. And a lot of them are available on streaming now. So you can kind of check them out. Uh, as we sort of fill back into the the backlog from what's come out so far in 23. Is that a good way to describe them? Yeah, this is going to be a very competent uh, competent rent listing of films and and, and one miniseries. Like, not, yeah, like you said, none of these are like the big tent poles of the year. And yet all of these were pretty solid watches and uh, definitely memorable. So, and, and it's almost nice to have like, hey, this wasn't a franchise. This wasn't a blockbuster. Well, you know, technically speaking, so to speak. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to get into these ones, especially one of them. One of them was literally my, my one of my favorite movies of the year. So I'm very excited. All right. Well, we'll see if that's the first one we're going to talk about here today. It is called Dungeons and Dragons. And that's Honor it. Among there Kings. it is. One of my favorite <laughs> movies of the year. There we go. Yeah. Came out in March. Uh, a charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a lost relic, but things go dangerously dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. Uh, this film stars an ensemble cast led by Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Regé Jean Page, Justice Smith, Sophia Lil- Lillis, and Hugh Grant. It's obviously based on the role-playing game dungeons and dragons uh, mike i can't say like i'm a nerd i am a nerd i will admit it anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that i'm kind of a dork kind of a closet nerd sometimes you know i try and put off the the jock vibes but there's definitely a side of me that is very dorky and loves all this kind of fantasy stuff 
Dungeons and Dragons is like a bridge too far for me. I never quite got into it. I never played it. Uh, I think you probably have. So I have to say coming into this, I didn't have a lot of um, framework or background as to what to expect from Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so I guess that was that. I kind of was going into this just kind of like not knowing what to expect. But have you played Dungeons and Dragons before? I have not very much though. So I I did play it. I was older. Like this was probably my early 30s when I played it. It was I did like one campaign. So it was like three nights of playing it, I think. And it was like it, it's it's a really like fun premise, actually, the game. It's not like it's not hard or anything. It's just here's here's a like the game, here's the little world, and you like you all have different characters that you make up like you can be in the elf or you can be the the barbarian or you can be like you know the you know the ranger or something and then like you just okay like like there is a bunch of orcs are in front of you what do you do roll like what do you want to do it's like oh i want to take out my bow and shoot them okay roll the dice oh you got crit 20 great your arrow goes through one orc and hits the other two like perfect shot or and that's just kind of it. You just have to figure out you have like a main point of your quest is to get this gold. And then you're just moving through the world, making different decisions and rolling the dice to see if they work out. And it's a lot of fun. Um, but I've only done it like that one time. So I, I'm definitely not an expert on it or anything. But I, I've played it at least enough to understand how many little references are in the sh- in the film. And like it's very much a, if you've played Dungeons and Dragons, you see all the love baked into the script and baked into the, the background and the, like the characters and even like Easter eggs and references to the cartoon show from like the eighties. If you've never played Dungeons and Dragons, you're fine. Like mm-hmm. you will totally understand everything that's going on. You won't, you won't need like, you'll be fine. It's like, I didn't know who it's like guardians of the galaxy. I'd never read it. I had no idea what it was, but when I saw the first movie, I was like, that was great. This very much feels like guardians of the galaxy medieval fantasy version. Yeah. That's one thing I appreciated about the movie is that, cause I was a little nervous about that. Having a limited background of dungeons and dragons. Like I was like, is this all going to go over my head? Is, are all the names, places, faces, is that going to be like confusing and kind of get muddled? Like I kind of feel that way when I watch that Netflix show, the witcher, they're throwing a lot of names at you, a whole world, and sometimes it feels like it's coming at you too fast. This mm-hmm. this movie, I think, made a very smart decision to not dwell on names, places, faces, lore. It's because it's not really relevant to the story. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't matter. You don't need to know the names, places, faces by design. You know, it's just this is a simple story. Uh, you know, the game is kind of like a choose your own adventure type game. The movie feels very much like that, where you you have these different characters. They're all embodying their different characteristics. And they're all just sort of going through these various quests and fantasy tropes and whatnot. But the movie is very digestible for people who maybe don't have the background of Dungeons and Dragons. So I think that was a really smart choice um, by the director. Uh, I don't think I said who directed it. John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. So mm-hmm. I think that was very smart to to do that and make it approachable for a mass audience because otherwise you're just marketing to a very niche audience, which would have been a mistake, obviously, when you're trying to make a lot of money. So I would call this kind of a surprise hit, Mike. You know, there was a lot of good word word of mouth that came out when the trailers came out. I thought it was going to be bad. You know, I looked at it and I was yeah. like, oh, great. Here comes another terrible Same. fantasy crap shoot ripoff. But what was very smart that the filmmakers did here is they did not go for like a, you know, a Lord of the Rings vibe or a Game of Thrones vibe or anything like that. They didn't take themselves too seriously. You know, they decided to go with the comedy angle that plays on all these played out tropes. And because of that, because the film doesn't take itself too seriously, because it's not too dark and heavy, because it's just very like a digestible, easy kind of fun watch. um, I think it became kind of like a low key hit because the film is just having fun with itself. Yeah, and I think at the core, that's what Dungeons and Dragons is, though, as a game. So, like, yeah, we can talk about like, oh, which like did they? Let's go the serious route, like Game of Thrones and or Lord of the Rings, or let's go like the edgy comedy. Like, but what they did was they basically just did Dungeons and Dragons. Like, if you ever played a Dungeons and Dragon game, that's basically what happens. Like, you'll be with your friends, you'll be trying to figure something out. It won't, it won't work out. You'll have to try to do it five times over it. You'll be laughing. I mean, and it's just like it, the game does lend itself to silliness and not taking yourself just seriously. And then all of a sudden there's like a genuine heartfelt moment that like just knocks you out for a moment. 
And then you're back to like this epic little battle where you're shooting like fire arrows or, you know, someone's using a magic sword. But then, but, but like those aren't really the things that matter. Those are just the settings for characters fulfilling arcs or you having fun with your friends or, you know, you teasing each other and then, then turning in the game and making it like, it's very much like in some ways the things we love about sports or sports dramas um, because it's, it's all about a, a game of trying to get to a goal, you know? So I think what you really got to break it down to is not like, Oh, they picked the right genre. This They had really good writers, um, Jonathan Goldstein and uh, John Francis Daly, who the, the kid from freaks and geeks, but they actually did another, they've, they're just not their first time directing. They also did game night, which was this great 2018 comedy with uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams, which I hadn't seen ever until I randomly watched it like two weeks before I saw Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, oh, these are the same guys. Oh, I get, I'm going to get their style. And like, right. man, we, we reviewed fantastic. game night was game night. We reviewed in the second ever episode of this. Oh, podcast. for real? Yeah. Wow. So you should go back and, and seek it out. Like I, it probably, the audio probably, probably sounds terrible and who knows, but like, you should see what we had to say about that because I think we gave it a positive review. We, we quite like that. Well, these guys are great writers is what I'm trying to say. And like at the core, that's what you not have, you have to have at the base of any story or movie. Like I know we're going through the writer's strike right now, but Dungeons and Dragons is definitely proof that like, Hey, writers are what made it always work. So they, mm-hmm. they had great writing. They understood Dungeons and Dragons and they just made that, you know, they didn't try to, well, we need this to be Lord of the Rings. Like, no, let Dungeons and Dragons no. be Dungeons and Dragons. And that's what they did. And props to them for doing that. It just feels sort of like a, it's kind of episodic in a way, the movie, because you're kind of just like moving through like different fantasy sort of like tropes and fantasy things. And it's like, it's all here, you know, dragons and monsters and magic and wizards and dark sorcerers and spells and curses. I mean, it's all in here, but it's so like such an easy, relaxed vibe the whole time you're Mm -hmm. watching the movie. It really just is. It's one of those films where you can just sit back eat some popcorn, have some laughs. I think most of the jokes hit. The comedy, I think, is oh, well yeah. The like, comedy very well brilliant. Done. Yeah, like when they're <laughs> jumping out the window and they're like, yeah. we pardoned you. We pardoned you. <laughs> yeah, that line made me, oh, man, there's been two things I keep constantly quoting from this movie. One is, she's throwing potatoes. Like, anytime I see a potato or a french fry, I tell people that line. And also, anytime I see my friend, uh, I, my friend Jonathan, uh, I always just like greet him now. Oh, Jonathan! <laughs> this is so silly and funny. Uh, yeah, this is like watching this was like, man, this is what Marvel movie, movies lately have been trying to do. And this is what they're, they just didn't land it. This movie landed it. This movie yeah, gets it right. They got it right. There was a danger, I think, of being too silly, kind of like Thor and whatnot. Yeah. And like this, it just felt so like kind of like effortless. It felt very like natural, and that goes to the writing and the performances. Um, you know, I thought Hugh Grant made for a very entertaining protagonist or antagonist. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew that was coming. Not that that was hard to see coming. You know, it's like okay, who's the who's the main baddie here? Who's a, who's a notable actor? Okay, it's going to be <laughs> Hugh Grant. You could just tell that he was one of those scheming, you know, former allies who was just going to kind of take matters into his own hand when he thought his friends were dead. So that wasn't really surprising and really nothing that happens in the whole movie is really all that surprising, but it's a fun watch. It's a good time. Uh, the performances are well done. And I, I have to say this, this movie really surprised me as to how much I actually enjoyed it. And I gave it a seven out of 10. I give this an a, <laughs> I give it an A. Sorry, I was drinking water. <laughs> I give it a name, man. This is this is easily one of my favorite movies of the year. Did everything cool. right. Yeah, I mean, for what it is, you really couldn't ask for a whole lot more. Uh, I hope they don't make a million sequels and, and ruin it, because I think this will be something that could grow tiresome over time um, if they if they don't continue to hit the right vibes. But for this one-off to, to introduce Dungeons & Dragons to a mainstream audience, I think it was about as successful as it possibly could be. So, uh, yeah. I hope we get a... I hope we get at least one sequel, though. That's good. <clears throat> I definitely want to see more of this. All right. So that's a positive review there for Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Somewhat of a surprise hit, I would say. So... Uh, There you go. 
Moving on to another film that I would say was somewhat of a surprise hit, just because it's absolutely absurd. This is not a movie. This is not the kind of movie that we usually review on the Second Day Film Podcast because but it's very it, much a B movie. Uh, it got so big. But yeah. it became B such a bear. phenomenon. Yeah, it became such a phenomenon on social media. People were going crazy for it. It's called Cocaine Bear, and it's directed by <laughs> Elizabeth Banks and written by Jimmy Warden. Uh, cocaine bear centers on exactly what it sounds like uh, a bear ingests a bunch of cocaine in the 80s and goes on a rampage uh throughout a i believe it's tennessee in the forest somewhere in there so uh yeah georgia and tennessee the, the chattahoochee so uh it they obviously take some liberties with this it is based on a real true life thing that happened a bear did ingest a bunch of cocaine uh in this forest it did not go on a killing rampage. Most likely it just had a few bad days and then died from an overdose, uh, which RIP bear. Sorry about that. Pour a little out for our furry friend there who uh, did too much cocaine, but this movie, it's not going to hide what it is, Mike. It's called cocaine bear. And it is an absolutely ridiculous film. Uh, it's pretty corny in a lot of ways. It is firmly in B movie territory for me, but it works. I think as a B movie, yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be a cult classic uh for some people. I don't know how well I enjoyed the film, like but there there's definitely something that works about it. Um some parts I really enjoyed, I have to say. Yeah. Like there were there were, they had moments. Like there's definitely uh as, as, for the sake of anyone who doesn't know, like yes, there was a real story in the 80s where uh you know, an American black bear, the drugs fell out of, or was lost cocaine and a bear found it and ingested, uh, I think it was like seven, like 70, 80 pounds of cocaine. And the bear got, I mean, sadly the, the animal passed, uh, but, but it didn't attack anyone. So this is all just like, Hey, but what if that bear, like, you know, went out and then just became like a, the Hulk bear, and so it does feel like the, the the movie has like a one like one joke basically a bear did cocaine and they just kind of stretch it very very thin to like okay did this need to be a whole movie about this one joke and it doesn't like for as much as it's about cocaine bear I feel like the bear wasn't in it a lot like it's kind of followed around a bunch of other people and their misfits and their little issues and their little quirks and their little you know problems and i don't know it almost felt like it was trying to do a lot of different things that didn't always land together like there's moments where it's trying to be like oh like this is so funny and then the music is generally horror and some really nasty gruesome stuff happens and it's like is this trying to be funny or is this try like yes. like i don't know the, the tone yes. got really uneven sometimes but like there were little moments that were enjoyable but overall, I don't. I just feel like it was, yeah, a bear did cocaine. Let's stretch it into a full movie with characters. Like, focus more on the bear. Like, focus on a scene where what we see what the bear sees. I would have loved to have had a moment where it's like, what is the bear thinking this whole time? But uh, <laughs> I don't think he was I, thinking much there, Mike. <laughs> but wouldn't that be like it's cocaine bear? Let's make it about the bear. There wasn't enough bear in cocaine bear. Well, there was so, more cocaine drama and like. Finding each other in the be, woods. It's just supposed to be all these kind of like eccentric people that are coming in and out on the screen that are, you know, all they're all their different sort of interactions with this bear. You know, I particularly thought that uh, Margot Martindale as Ranger Liz and uh, Jesse Tyler Ferguson as Peter, the sort of wildlife enthusiast that she had a crush on. I found their characters to be really funny and their interactions to be hilarious with each other, how she's like getting up, like she has the hots for this guy and wants to go on a hike with him, you know, so they can obviously, you know, do their little hanky panky out in the woods or whatever. And then the, the lady has to, you know, they get the, she gets third wheeled and she's all upset about it and all these jokes are happening. And then just like the nerdy wildlife enthusiast who's like, well, be careful there, kids. You know, like some of these yeah. character types. Yeah, they're corny. They're archetypes. But I found them to be entertaining when they were on screen. And yeah, Mike, I just don't think this is a movie. If you're looking for depth, you're not getting it out of this movie, man. This thing is just supposed to be a dumb sort of, you know, crazy news story that happened that they turn into a concept. 
uh, for a film. And yeah, there's not enough there for an entire movie. And it's an hour and 35 minutes long. That's probably about what, 15, 20 minutes too long, more story than they probably had. But I'm yeah. just not going to judge this for more than it is, dude. It's just supposed to be like a dumb romp through the woods. This bear that's all hopped up on drugs, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, like he, literally you look at the bear and it's like foaming at the mouth and like flopping around on the ground doing cocaine. I mean, some of that physical humor definitely cracked me up. Like I laughed out loud pretty, pretty often, especially early on just because of the absurdity of it. But I do agree that the second half of the movie, there's just not enough story there. And it, and it really starts to just kind of be like ridiculous on a new level. Yeah. So it's, it's, you're not going to get much out of this more than it was, which is probably why, why are we even reviewing it? Because it's a movie called cocaine bear, you know, for what it was to draw some laughs, some physical humor. Uh, you know, I thought it was funny and, and no bears were harmed in the making of the film. Like, so, so that, at least you have that. It was, it was, it was a modern day Midsummer's night's dream. <laughs> But but not good. But not great. Just a bunch of eccentric characters all getting, you know, lost in the woods and being, you know, fucked with by a a, a supernatural entity in some ways. Yeah. I, well, that's the thing. It almost feels like the bear is almost like because it's ingested all this cocaine that it's taken on like sort of like super yeah. powers yes, in a way yeah. there. It's almost like this sort of superhero bear that can basically do anything, you know, oh, climb man. huge trees, jump from tree to tree. Okay. Uh, the yeah. tree bits, the tree bit. That, that made me, that did make me laugh really hard where he was chasing the kid up the tree, smelled the cocaine, the other tree. And whatever the special effects there and the CGI of the bear was pretty good, but like the bear just like jumps down and immediately hauls ass over to climb the other tree. And it, was so, it was so fast. It made me laugh pretty hard. Yeah. Like there is good stuff in this. It's just like it goes back to the writing. This was not a strong, well written story. Like, it so it, I don't think it was supposed to. I'm like, what is Carrie Russell doing in this movie? What is shit? Our boy Clay Davis <laughs> doing in this movie. What is uh, what what is what is uh, O'Shea Jackson's kid doing in this movie? Like, what is that? And we <laughs> and we should say Ray. Is it cocaine bear? She. Yeah. <laughs> Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Yeah, he was. And he was, Ray Liotta was quite too. You could tell that Ray Liotta is not feeling great in this movie. I mean, you can see it. Oh, uh, this so, that, that this, is kind this of was sovereign. his. This was Ray's last film. It was. It's dedicated to him, which is oh, yeah, kind of true. a funny movie to be dedicated to Ray Liotta. If you think yeah, about cocaine it, you know? bear. <laughs> <laughs> Considering his Goodfellows history, you know, it's like, oh, hey, man, cocaine bear dedicated to our original uh, gangster there, Ray Liotta. So uh, honestly, a pretty good guest for being what basically amounts to a B movie. I, I would just say, don't go into this expecting it to be more than it is. It's a movie about a bear that eats cocaine and goes on a rampage. And that's what it is, which goes back to our original point up the top, Mike. You know, I think these films in the miniseries, all four of them know what they are and they stick to it. And so I'm not going to shred it that much, man. I'll give it a six out of 10 because I went in looking for cocaine bear and that's what I got. Yeah, I would have liked more bear. I'll, I'll give it a B. I give it a more bear. I give it a B minus. All right. Give me one more Clay Davis. Ah, God, The Wire's the best show. Although, well, well, let's hopefully try to review it sooner than later. But man, I've been season one of Beef really, really intensely. That That's amazing. Let's move on. Now. All right. We'll oh. get there eventually. We'll get uh, there. I think Cocaine Bear, what do we watch this on? Peacock? Is that where we saw it? Uh, Amazon Prime, maybe? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, plug it into your Roku. Plug it into your Roku, people. It wasn't very uh, cool. <laughs> it's cocaine bear, Mike. Give it a break. Okay. It's cocaine bear. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's see. 89 million in the box office against a 35 million dollar budget. So people loved it. Hey. Um, a low-key hit. I would good say. uh good job to uh Betty Brandt. <laughs> Moving on to something completely different. <laughs> it's a film called A Man Called Otto. It, uh, this came out last year, actually. It's a comedy drama directed by Mark Forster, uh, and it stars Tom Hanks in the title role. He plays Otto, 
Marie, Mariana Trevino, Rachel Keller, Manuel Garcia Rufio are in supporting roles. Uh, it is a remake of a 2015 film called A Man Called Ove, which is based on a 2012 novel by Frederick Backman. Mike, I'm going to assume you haven't seen read the novel or anything. Uh, I, but, I have not. Uh, I have not either, but... Uh, Mike, this this film is something that I heard about. My dad had watched it. My sister had watched it. They both recommended it to me. I saw it at uh, hit Netflix, so I decided to throw it on. And obviously, anything with Tom Hanks, you know, you're not gonna have to twist my arm too hard to watch. This is classic Tom Hanks role, right? A guy he he embodies sort of a uh, sort of an outsider, somebody with a troubled past, uh, somebody who's dealing with challenges in, in his personal life. I and mean, we've seen him embody characters like this many times throughout the years. Um, he's well suited for these roles because he can be something about Tom Hanks. He, he can be extremely likable and extremely detestable in the same role at the same time. And that just really speaks to his genius. And I think that that sort of comes through in this film, a man called Otto. Um, Basically, he plays a widower who is going through some stuff and he's basically given up on life. He's feeling a lot of depression. He doesn't see there's a lot to live for and considers killing himself. Um, and really, that all changes when a young family moves in nearby. Uh, that's when he meets his match with the quick-witted Marisol, who leads to a friend, which leads to a friendship that turns his world around. So there's a lot of characters coming in and out of this. Uh, it's definitely a film that's going to pull on your heartstrings. I guess the question is, does it lean a little bit too much into the melodrama? Is it a little bit too heavy-handed, Mike, or does it is it just the right amount of feels? Uh, it's tough to say because I haven't read the book, but. Uh, just watching it at the, at the sake of okay, I'm just watching the movie for the movie's sake. Um, I will say like it definitely dealt with heavy themes, but not necessarily the moments that should have felt heavy didn't feel as heavy. And like you know, this this does deal with like suicide and there's multiple um, suicide attempts. Yeah, and about. but but I didn't feel like they were shot or filmed in a way that felt super heavy. It was almost like it was almost trying to make him look silly about it. You know, like he's like, oh well, gotta schedule this or gotta do that or like when the moments themselves, it didn't feel as threatening that oh he could do this or this is gonna happen. Um. But then, like, other moments where he was just being mean to people, like, or just being grumpy, like, those moments suddenly felt heavy, especially when they were going back in time. And you were seeing the story of how, you know, he met his wife and what happened there. Those moments felt heavy. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely the lightheartedness and then the heaviness. And sometimes the moments that should have felt light felt heavy and the moments that should have felt heavy felt light but uh i don't know like that it's it's hard to I, don't know, I might need to watch it again to like understand really how to pick up on the tone of it yeah well mark mark forrester i mean he's a guy who's had a lot of different um you know i don't know i don't know how many of his films in the past you've seen mike but he did like monsters ball finding yeah. everland uh, I think he did the Quantum of Solace. Uh, he had that Christopher Robin movie that came out a few years ago. Stranger Than Fiction is one of my favorite movies. It's a great uh, movie. Will Ferrell. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he he's done movies that I like in the past, but he's definitely known for making those films that are kind of like, they're sort of slice of life. They, you know, they, they sort of bring you into sort of a main character and examine all sides of it. And there's definitely a lot of going back and forth between lighthearted, fun, enjoyable stuff to all of a sudden quick, dark moment. I will agree that a lot of those, um, a lot of the suicide scenes felt a little nonchalant, I think is maybe what you're, what you're yeah. going for. It didn't seem like it was heavy enough that we were grasping with this guy is trying to hang himself or this guy's trying to, cause himself to be poisoned in the garage you know like it, it seemed like it was a little bit too like nonchalant in its portrayal of suicide and maybe that was by design because Otto was like down so bad at that point that we're he's trying to put us like in his psyche where he's down so bad that he's literally committing suicide without even like thinking about it you know it's just like mm -hmm. oh here's my suicide attempt at the day you know, I'm going to go do it and he never goes through with it. So maybe he's trying to like put us in the same headspace that Otto's in 
where it doesn't seem like a big deal. It just seems like what he has to do to get through his day so that he can meet up with his wife who, who died, you know, it's like, yeah, that's the only thing I can think of because as, as it goes on, the film does get more sort of serious and it handles sort of the down moments with a lot more sort of credence and, and, uh, and sort of like, um, intensity because like even at the beginning when when her neighbor's husband like falls off the ladder you know we don't even see it and then she's like oh my husband might die can you drive me to the hospital and it feels and i'm like shouldn't this be like a chaotic stressful moment and it's almost instead played for laughs yeah it is a little bit weird in that but um so i guess tonally it's a little weird back and forth and then when otto does finally kick the bucket spoiler alert at the end i mean you shouldn't be surprised that he does in fact die after reforming himself uh, you know, that almost feels like it's it's a happy moment, you know, because he did, you know, sort of fix his life at the end there. And I guess that tracks throughout the throughout the story. But um, that doesn't feel like a tragic moment at all, really. It feels almost like, a, you know, here's all these people who are at Otto's funeral because towards the end of his life, he did snap out of it and he did make friends again and he did open himself up to love again. Um, so it almost feels happy. So I don't know, maybe he's just trying to explore sort of like the complex human dynamics of how through grief and trauma, sometimes we can find a new part of ourselves. but sometimes it did feel a little bit um, up and down tonally. Yeah. Like I think in some ways it was trying to give us the story of like an American version of a, a Christmas carol without Christmas. Like it's like, Hey, here's Scrooge. Well, why is Scrooge like this? Let's jump back into his past and see these sad moments. And now we're here um but i don't know some of like i didn't really feel like the redemption really earned itself at the end just because well, we don't really... see a lot of it it's like a montage yeah. you know yeah There's a time jump and know? there also wasn't anything where he really broke down and was like boy like i'm wrong or, or i'm i'm upset with myself there weren't really consequences for his rudeness or his like i'm you know grumpiness I mean, it was it was hard to like for a guy that's like this, but then like there's a kid who's transgender. He's something nice to that kid, just that kid. I'm like, that doesn't like that's not consistent. It's like, well, the kid was his wife's students. Like these were all his wife's neighbors. Like why? I don't know. Well, there like, is I, there is consistency with him kind of always being nice to children or people who are younger than him. Because even from yeah. the the first scene of the movie when he's helping you know the dad parallel park and he gets in the car and the two kids are in the back he's nice to them. You know, he's, he's not really mean yeah, to them per generally. se. So it does seem like maybe he does have a bit of a soft spot for kids, maybe because he lost his kid, um, you know, in the car accident that his wife had. And, you know, maybe yeah. there's like, you know, kids are kind of like his soft spot. He clearly has a soft spot for animals, you know, with the cat, even as much as he tries not to like the cat, he clearly does, you know, he's sticking up for it to the, to the humans who want to get rid of it. So it's almost like he, he wants to take care of someone. He wants to care for people. So if it's something that's like uh, something that could be perceived as more helpless than him, he kind of has a soft spot for it, but all the people who are actually trying to help him, you know, his, his peers, his neighbors, he 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 rebuffs it you know he shuns it because he's afraid to let people in that can actually yeah. be his equal and his peer that's kind of how i read it um but and i did appreciate all the side characters you know like you mentioned malcolm yeah. marisol the lady who played her i thought she was yeah she super was good. charming and effective yep. and so, so sweet and really heartfelt the whole the whole couple uh you know the guy who's constantly like stretching and jogging and just wanting to hang out with him while he's on his rounds uh, there's just a lot of characters in this uh that sort of speak to otto's past and and try and just coax out the good man that they see somehow you know everyone can still kind of see the old otto in there and then they're all constantly trying to bring it out and i thought the side characters worked well all sort of mm -hmm. exploring different dynamics you have anita and ruben uh, you know, the black couple from his past that kind of fill in the gaps of what happened and whatnot. So I don't know. I, I thought it was an enjoyable, uh, enjoyable enough film. I definitely felt good watching it at times because yeah. in this day and age, man, it's, it's just nice to see like strangers with different backgrounds and different people coming from all over the place, just kind of have like normal human connections, you know, to, to mm -hmm. kind of remind you that like, you know, you like think about just interactions you have on a daily basis with random people. You know, it's like it's just nice to be reminded that like most people are still generally generally decent to each other, even if some people don't deserve it. 
in, in face-to-face interactions. You know, we have such a toxic online climate. We have such a toxic political TV climate these days that, but I still find that most of the human interactions I have face-to-face are pleasant. And this movie kind of highlights those sort of interactions between people and how impactful they can be. So I kind of appreciated it on that level. Yeah, it was nice to see a movie that wasn't about anything supernatural or extreme. Like, you know, it wasn't about like this mass true crime drama or like, you know, a fantasy where there's superheroes or dragons or, you know, or, or mermaids, or it wasn't like a, a franchise remake. It was, it was just like a simple movie about neighbors and things that drive them nuts about each other or the things that they're going through in the day day. And it was, that was refreshing. And I agree with you. Everyone did a good job. Tom Hanks did a good job. Uh, uh, Mariana Trevino did a good job. Uh, the side actors. I was really nice to see Mike Birbiglia just show up as a real estate agent. And I really loved that that was like the main villain was that real estate companies are taking advantage of people and they're looking into their medical histories and they're going to take advantage of senior citizens. And it's like, that's like, that's a real problem. And it's like, I've, I've seen a few movies where real problems are like the thing the movie is about. Like, it's usually, oh, this, this terrorist or this bomb or this monster or this, this psychopath who's on a murdering spree. It's like, yeah, but most of us, like the real dangers of our lives are, you know, real estate prices being jacked up and companies looking into people and, you know, inflation. Like these are the real problems that we're all dealing with. And so it was nice to see that be like the main issue that they all have to come together to deal with in the film. And death. We all deal with death. death. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I will say I, I did enjoy watching it. It's probably not one I care to rewatch, but for what I watched, I'm like, that was that was a pleasant little watch. And I, I give it a I give it a B, B plus maybe. Yeah, I'm at a what did I give it? Uh, seven, seven out of ten. Uh, Tom Hanks, watchable in anything. I didn't love the portrayal of journalism uh, in this movie. I have to say the <laughs> online, the social media journalist, Tom Hanks, like what's a social media journalist? And I was like, yeah, what's a social media journalist? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> generally, I, I generally understood yeah. what they were going for there. But like, she just shows up with a camera and like catches them red handed. You know, it's not generally how we go about things, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's a movie. Uh, yeah. I thought the climax was, it was an interesting sort of conflict to explore. I'm not sure the, the climax like fully landed. Like the one great thing Otto does is save his elderly neighbors from getting evicted. I mean, that's, that's fine. And I guess it's, it's fine, but you know, it's, I think they might've been able to find a little bit better way too for Otto to find redemption. And I guess he does find it in other ways by, you know, helping this family and helping the Malcolm kid and, and giving him his car. And he does end up impacting a lot of people. So in the end, I guess it was just kind of like uh it's one of those, you know, it, it's a fine movie, right? It's just something that you can pop it in. There's some lessons to be had here. I don't know if it was perfectly executed. It's a little uneven at times, but the performances are good. And it, it's one that you can watch, and I think you'll take something away from it. So uh, that's yeah. A Man Called Otto, and it's on Netflix now. So check it out. All right, Mike, you ready to move into the last title we're going to cover here this evening on the Second Day Film Podcast? Appreciate mm-hmm. everyone for listening. Uh, it's a mini series that just aired on HBO recently. It's called Love and Death. Uh, it was created by David E. Kelly. He's also the guy behind uh, Big Little Lies, I believe, on HBO, if you've ever seen that. Um, but it stars Elizabeth Olsen as Candy Montgomery, alongside Jesse Plemons, Lily Rabe, Patrick Fugit, Kristen Ritter, Tom Pelfrey, Elizabeth Marble. Marvel and Keir Gilchrist. It centers around Montgomery living the stereotypical housewife lifestyle in the late 1970s, but after an affair with her neighbor leads to a murder, sort of explores the fallout of that. Ironically, this is the second uh, fictional telling. I I, I didn't realize that Hulu had a show starring Jessica Biel called Candy that came out this year. I'm like, why are we telling the same story at the same time? I, I swear this has been happening a lot lately. And why, like, why right now? Why, like, why was this like, oh, it was a, like a housewife who had an affair and it led to a murder with an axe and they all went to church together and she was acquitted. Like, and then, and then it's like, oh, now we need to do this story right now twice. Like, what, what is so special about this? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really like a lot of the true crime 
like stuff that's coming out now like this was good but I, i'm not sure why it's like suddenly a booming new genre where even like one murder is now getting two miniseries about it like in yeah like the and same i have year. i have mixed you know, i've been on this my wife's a huge you know true crime person she listens to the podcast she watches every stinking show that comes out mm-hmm. it's like soon we're gonna know about every murder that's ever happened because there's gonna be something about it all and i i too we've talked about this on the pod before covering stuff like this is you know is it exploitive what is right how deep into these sort of stories should we go how far should we go into making murderers actual characters you know because it it's could be disrespectful to the victims like we need to think about the victims a little more i think is is my point here things need to be done tastefully things need to be done for a purpose and to me you know d- the documentary style lends to that i used to think the documentary style would lend to it more than actually making like a dramatized version of events but after watching this mike i'm kind of questioning that because one thing i think love and death does really well is sort of take a nuanced look at the whole situation it it takes sort of like a twenty thousand feet look at the whole thing where it doesn't straight come out and villainize candy it doesn't come out and villainize anyone really in the whole thing it takes sort of a a nuanced approach to maybe why these people made the decisions they made and maybe what could have happened to the point where all these events sort of collided at the same time to create this perfect storm of tragedy. And I can't speak for candy, the Hulu series with Jessica Biel, but, but I think love and death in particular does a good job of not, not injecting too much opinion into what is clear, clearly a very veiled and nuanced situation. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. Like, I don't know anything about the case outside of this show, really. Like, I've never met these people. I don't know what really happened. I didn't right, read but the you can tell the show is like, going for a, a sort yeah. of like it's not villainizing Candy at all. No, if it's anything, a good it's like it was a, yeah, and it was a good show to watch. Like, I definitely was like Catherine and I were watching it um, like pretty pretty religiously. Like, it was like our like a fun Sunday night. Um, like, watch it's very well made. The acting like. Man, Elizabeth Olsen and Jesse Plemons just there's no one's weak in the show, but they are just so strong. Like it's just they're overwhelmingly like impressive in the role. And they're so like you just can't take your eyes off them when they're in a scene. They're just so good. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't know. Like I just it was it was good, but I, I don't I don't like some okay? of this stuff. Are you huh? okay? Are you okay? Are you gonna be okay? Because yeah, this happened okay. in the 70s, Mike. It was a while ago, so it's going to be okay. I know. Uh, but <laughs> I, You know, here's an interesting... I watched an interview with Jesse Plemons and Elizabeth Olsen, and someone straight up asked him, like, how... Like, I think it was that the family didn't really want them making this stuff. Like, the kids or... Like, they didn't... They didn't Candy, of course, I don't think spoke to anyone about this. She's, like, trying to move on. Um the real candy at least and jesse plemons was he handled it very graciously and diplomatically i thought he was like yeah i can understand like why they wouldn't want us to be making this and he was like well you know at the end of the day though it is our job to tell stories mm-hmm. and yeah. like i get that but it's like i, I don't know like it's, it's I guess, not but i i don't think this show like there's a lot of things that we've watched and talked about that it just feels exploitive like i i have i've seen most of that Dahmer show on netflix yeah they try to sort of put the focus on the victims and tell their stories. But at the same time, it is almost glamorizing and hyping up Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, by, by letting uh, Evan Peters play him by giving him this platform to sort of humanize him and make him more of a person and get into his motivations. It is in a way making him more sympathetic when he was a crazy mass murderer, you know? So it's like, I don't know. It is walking a very fine line. I think what this show did well is it, it it was very much like a holistic approach. It wasn't sort of like saying that Candy went in and tried to murder this lady because she wanted her husband. And obviously the, the jury felt the same way. So she got acquitted. So, I mean, that there's just a lot of things and nuance in any of these situations. You know, sometimes a murderer is just a murderer. I think yeah. the reason that multiple shows have been made about this is because you can't really pin down what happened that day with candy. You know, was it self-defense? Did she go there thinking she was going to murder? You know, only she knows. So, you know, the show at least does a good job trying to portray that. And another thing I 
appreciate about the show was it it showed a lot of restraint when it came to the affair itself. It wasn't done yes. like it was some hot, steamy yeah. like affair. It was almost like these people started this affair because they weren't connecting with their spouses at the time and they were connecting with each other. It was almost like companionship as much as it was like a hot, steamy romance. And I think that's an interesting way, not, not approving or condoning affairs. You know, that's not what I'm doing here, but I, I do think it did take an interesting look at, you know, why people make the decisions they make, why it happens. I think the transition from the early stages of the miniseries where everything is like cookie cutter, perfect, 70s housewife the music is charming candy's like singing in her car super happy and then by the end the music starts to shift starts about halfway through it starts to get darker uh the, the tones the color tones on screen get darker candy goes from being happy in her car to sitting dead silent listening to music in her car um, so there's like all these little signs and motifs throughout the show's run that sort of uh, emphasizes and creates a mood that sort of mimics what's actually happening. Um, and so I thought that was really thoughtfully done. And I think there's a lot of examples in this show about how, um, you know, things change based on a, on a single decision or why someone does this because of something else, cause and effect, so to speak. So I think they could have taken just a really, you know, brass knuckle, bare bones, look at, you know, sort of a play-by-play -play murder story. And instead they they added more layers to it. And they made the characters more more than just uh, single stroke people. They were they really examined why people make decisions they do, what the consequences of those are. And for that reason, I, I kind of appreciated it more than if it was just like a blow by numbers, you know, murder documentary series. Yeah, I mean, it's very well made. It was very like easy to watch, and you know, it's, it's very interesting. Like, I'm not trying to like, I don't know, I, I'm not trying to like bash it as a piece of art i think it was an incredible what like well made and and well produced piece of art um i i still sometimes struggle to find like the meaning of like so what was the point of all that like what is the lesson of what do we do different like where what's what's the change that needs to be made because i think that it did do a good job of like you said humanizing them being like hey these decisions like these aren't like monsters who just like go around wanting to hit people with axes or have affairs like these are human beings, the circumstances of their life and the relationships they're in and the cultures that they're in, things happen and they make choices and the choices lead to more consequences than they meant them to in the first place. Um, and yeah, it definitely like, yeah, it humanized some of the things that sometimes we, we think of as like the most awful things, but it's like, well, these are also human beings making choices. And, you know, so that was good. I guess at the end, I would have just liked to have known, like, so now what? Like, what? Like, how do you move on? Or, like, how do you, like, what does someone else do to make sure they don't do this? Or, like, what was, like, what are the healthy Mike, things? I think, to... I think the moral of the story is don't hold out on your spouse. <laughs> That's the yeah. moral of the story here. Uh, they did do a good job of, like, highlighting. I mean, I grew up in a, in a you know, this was a, what was this, a Baptist church? or. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a reformed Baptist church and this did do a good job of like showing like the church dynamics and how that plays into a huge, like into these people's lives and like, even just like their views of sexuality and affairs. And then like, you know, like you took something from me, like you deserve to die for that. Like there's very intense, strong feelings around all those things like marriage and adultery and murder, uh, uh and they did they did a really good job um i think exploring some of the more religious aspects to how those things were playing into people's lives or how they were really not playing into people's yeah. lives in some ways um yeah, religion is all, definitely yeah. stroke it religion is stroked through this entire thing you know it's it's there the mm -hmm. entire time that's that's another thing i think that makes this interesting you know, it's called love and death you know they're it's about love that leads Methodist. to death. You know, it's these it's perhaps. Oh yeah, Methodist. Sorry. Clearly, you know, two of the most powerful, emo, you know, things that we deal with: love and death. You know, emotions, and uh, you know, that's very at the forefront of this whole thing. I I quite liked uh, Tom Pelfrey. You mentioned the top two, but Tom Pelfrey as Don Crowder, the lawyer. He's kind of in the background through the first, you know, three four episodes, and then like halfway through the miniseries, he almost becomes like the main character, which was kind of mm -hmm. like a 
a weird shift. I think, you know, I think he's purposely in the background early on. And then, yeah. you know, as the, as it comes to trial, he sort of moves to the forefront and Jesse Plemons and even Elizabeth Olsen, Olsen sort of become background characters. And, you know, I was reading about this Don Crowder guy that, that uh, Tom Pelfrey was inhabiting, you know, kind of like this weird guy who's like, at, at some point he's, he's at one side, he's super masculine, you know, tough guy, Texas guy, uh, you know, straight shooter, carries a gun, you know, cowboy boots. But at the other time he has like a spray tan and he's got like super fancy clothes. So he's kind of, you know, got that sort of uh, materialistic side to him. So it's kind of like this duality of a guy in Texas, but apparently he was like a larger than life guy, ended up serving like in a major role uh, in the Texas uh, court systems. I thought he kind of stole the show through the second half of it as Candy Montgomery is kind of like in this dazed and Elizabeth Olsen plays it really well. I mean, the episode when we actually see her sort of go through the murder, I think is she's particularly strong and just kind of her reaction and how she's trying to tell herself that everything is normal. And uh, I mean, she kills it. She absolutely crushes it throughout the entire yeah. thing. Uh, performances throughout are, are very good. So, uh, you know, I, I liked it, Mike. I, I think I gave it an eight out of 10. There was some things, Again, I get some of those weird feelings that you do about this true crime stuff. What is the point of this? Should we really be doing this? Is it exploitative? I don't think this was exploitative, though. I, I really don't. I think that they took sort of a nuanced, wholesome look at it. And they did try and sort of dive into some some deeper themes instead of just, you know, exploiting this terrible story for the, for the sake of it. Although watching her actually commit the murder in the season finale was pretty tough. I'd be afraid that they took a very wholesome take on this it is it's killing. For, for, act, for a story that involves axe killing and an affair wholesome might not be the right word nuance yeah. is what i'm looking for it's just it doesn't it, it takes a look at why these things happen or what, yes. what all the events that have to lead up and stack up for something like this to happen you know and i just i appreciated that along with the performances and some of that other stuff i talked about uh, yeah, I ended up liking it more than I did because I was very skeptical. I'll say that coming in and mm -hmm. I didn't watch it. I, I watched it. You know, you told me it was worth a watch. So I don't know if I'll ever get to the Jessica Beale one because I don't think I need to watch this. Story yeah, we've again, seen this one now. Be, yeah, but I would be curious to see how that compares to this one. If they if they sort of what things maybe they did stronger or worse than the other one. One last thing I have to say about this one. Uh, the soloist was great. Uh, at the funeral, the the because oh, yeah, I, I actually you know her, <laughs> yeah. Tiana Stewart, well done as the soloist. You were absolutely fantastic in that. Yeah, I I do know if you if you watch this, uh, it's during the funeral scene. The soloist uh, is a wonderful uh, uh, improviser and actress I've met in Austin, and uh, yeah, I sometimes do improv, improv with her on Friday nights at, at uh, an improv jam. She's a really cool person. So yeah, did you give it a grade? I give it an A. It was, yeah, I mean, I know it was like I don't, it's more the true Did crime you say stuff. Anything positive like, about it? Yeah, <laughs> I said everything. Was, it was well produced, well made. Elizabeth Olsen, Jessica Williams, and all the cast. Also, Patrick Fugit. I, I, he was he was particularly good. I thought as oh, well. I felt bad for him sometimes. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was so it was so good. Like, it, but it almost feels like yeah, it's obvious it was good. It's like I, I don't know. Like I just. To me, what's interesting is not like, oh, was it good? Because obviously it was good. I don't, I don't have anything negative to say about like the production of it. It's more like the. To, to me, I'm more interested in like, why are we making these? Like, what are what people are, watching? Yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> that's the answer because they sell, Mike. I mean, let's just be honest here. People are obsessed with true crime, which I guess is a conversation in its own right. You know what? What is it about our human condition that makes us so? interested in murder you know maybe i maybe it's those questions we were talking about you know the why you know and i and i yeah. think that this movie try, or the the miniseries does try and explain like the why a little bit which is why i thought it was more interesting than than some of the other true crime stuff i've seen so because it, there is a phenomenon where, where for some reason people are drawn to tragedy you know i work in the news mm. all the time people oh well, the news yeah. is so negative the news is so negative do you know why it's negative because that's what you people read you know so it's like it is sort of an interesting phenomenon, you know, where yeah. where we're drawn to tragedy for some reason. Maybe it's because we're humans and we're constantly obsessed with our own mortality, you know, and, and we're I don't know what it is. It's something about the human condition that makes us drawn to stories like this. 
You know, I definitely can relate to that phenomenon you felt like, or you feel where it's like, you know, in journalism, you write a really happy, feel good story. It doesn't really get that much attention. Or you write a story about like, hey, here's something new you can all do in the community, an opportunity to help or volunteer, make this better. Doesn't get a lot of attention, but you write like one juicy, like, you know, crime story or, or, or like one, oh, like scandal or something. And it's like blows up online. Like I've definitely had that. And it's it does sometimes it feels frustrating, but like the news does need to hold power accountable. So it's like, yeah, well, we have to we have to write about the things that are negative because like that's literally how we grow and how we become aware and protect people from from, you know, corrupt power. I'm thinking now, though, about like you talked about like, well, people want to watch this stuff because we're fascinated by the whys of it. I'm trying to think of my favorite crime movies that where I'm like, okay, this is technically a movie about a crime or it's about a heist or something, or um, the main character is a criminal. And I, I don't think any of my favorite crime movies are about true, true crime. Like none of them, like Godfather part one, Godfather part two. None of those are, I mean, sure. You could say they're kind of based on real people, but none of them are actually like true crime. They're fictional. Uh, no, you know, but like a movie like Spotlight is technically about crime, about true crime, and you know it's. Uh, yeah, that's that. That's true. That's <laughs> that's that's my second. That's probably my second or third all-time favorite journalism movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just. I think that's why. To, I mean, to bring it back around here, I think that's why these get made because there's something mm. about it that people are drawn to and. I don't know what exactly it is, but until, you know, people's tastes change or things don't sell, we're going to keep getting true crime series. We're going to keep trying getting true crime podcasts. They're just going to keep coming. And I guess the reason I appreciated this miniseries love and death is because it didn't take the easy way out. David E. Kelly took some time to sort of dive into who these people were and, and at least give us sort of a nuanced whole, uh, holistic look at it. So uh, that's why I appreciated love and death. And, um, you know, maybe someday I'll get around to seeing candy and we'll see how it compares, but, uh, it's on HBO max or sorry, max, my bad. Oh Thank yeah. So much has uh, a new name every week. Uh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the Second Date Film Podcast. Appreciate everyone for hanging out and listening. Like I said, we'll be back relatively shortly here. We're going to do a, a Marvel Disney episode featuring some of the biggest releases of the year mm-hmm. and another film. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, yeah, so we'll have more coming out. Obviously, it's summer. There's some big movies coming out down the pipe. Uh, saw the latest trailer for Oppenheimer in the theaters the other day, Mike. Oh, baby. That yeah. that movie is I don't think I'm ready. I don't are you gonna, ready. Are you gonna see Barbie and Oppenheimer on the same day? <laughs> no, I love how they're coming out the same time. I'm like, it's, it's so like, good. It's, it's classic it's so counter programming, good. I think, is what it is. Cause it's like <clears throat> outside of huge movie buffs, I don't think the same crowds are going to those movies, but I want to see both for sure. I want to so. see both. Yeah. They both so look we, great. We, I just rewatched uh, I just rewatched Francis Ha which was one of Greta Gerwig's uh, first big films. Um, that, that fantastic. Like I, I, I really have a lot of faith in her. So I'm really hoping Barbie's good. <laughs> it should be. Fran- I mean, late- Francis Ha is great. Check it out. I think it's on Netflix right now. Check out Francis Ha if you've never seen it. It's a really good film. I mean, Lady Bird and Little Women were both pretty good. Yeah, so. they were fantastic. Um, yeah. So that's all coming out. There's more than just that. We'll stay on top of it. We'll we'll keep watching. We're always watching, honestly. So uh, plenty of titles to talk about. Oh, we'll man. be back sooner rather than later, I'd say, Mike. So yeah, we were ta- well, we were talking about doing Saturday because like we we both have like enough movies where we could have literally recorded another pod this week where we both well, we seen could at record least... weekly if we want. Yeah, <laughs> but we honest. just yeah <laughs> we have lives. So yeah, and, uh, we don't. The pod doesn't make us too much money. Uh, so <laughs> it makes money this doesn't make any money does it no i'm probably about a grand in the hole if we add up everything but <laughs> hey, wait, it's we fun, add... baby. wait what are we adding up what What are the expenses oh there's plenty trust me <laughs> are there i've never we've never discussed this let's I let mean... the listeners know we'll do a whole episode just about like how tough it is to do this podcast <laughs> 
it's not that tough. I still have fun with it. So uh, let's get out of here. We're going long. Anyways, appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for being here. Uh, Survive the heat down there in Texas. Good luck. Uh, The Michigan summers are here if you need them. Thank you. Yeah, let's hope the grid doesn't fail. Fingers (laughs) crossed. Knock on wood. All right. All right. So for Mike Nichols, I'm Brandon Champion. Thank you once again for listening to the Second Day Film Podcast. We'll talk to you next time, and we'll see you.